everybody, I'm Jeff Suckendorf, CEO of UTVs. I don't even know the name of my company anymore. It's changed. <laughs> we did what, that five times. Is the name changed? Yeah, it's UTD Scuba Diving now, not Unified Team Diving. Anymore. Well, it's Unified Team Diving or UTD Scuba Diving. Or UTD Diving. Yeah. you got to have an official name. It's UTD Scuba Diving. Okay. All right, welcome everybody. I'm Jeff Suckendorf, CEO of UTD Scuba Diving, and I'm here as always with our training director, Ben Boss. Hey, Ben. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and as always, we're all over the place, right? San Diego, Denmark. Yeah, I coming guess. back to Denmark finally. I've been yeah, traveling but- <laughs> like crazy for the last couple of days. You've been on a whirlwind. Really yeah, yeah, whirlwind European swing. It's like you're like one of those cruises that does seven countries in in uh, four days. I mean, yeah, I've done I've done <laughs> three day three companies or three countries in in yeah in the span of two weeks time, and yeah. just booked a ticket to Ireland and Madrid. And probably going to Norway and Germany again. So it's yeah, it's awesome. like I love it. And my passport is hot. Yeah, no, it's great. And you know, making uh, new fabulous tech divers and starting to get some IDCs going. We'll make a bunch of instructors. Yeah, which is awesome. So things are things are good. UTD is solid and growing and happy. And you know, it's been been an awesome run since we rebuilt it. What, exactly a year and a year and a half ago, right? Yeah, and even due to COVID, I mean, obviously there's been a period of, of like dormancy, basically, but it's like a bull in a cage. Like as soon as the restrictions were lifted, everyone's like, boom, when can we train? When can we start? When can we grow? So that's super nice that people kept the, you know, the, the enthusiasm high. So that's super nice. So uh, we're going to do another Obscure Question podcast today, this one based on technical diving. But before we do that, we got to plug the IDC that's coming up in case anybody listens to this quickly. Yeah. September 5th? September 5th in Madrid. Uh, and that's an 2021 in case you're listening to this in two years. Yeah, exactly. So by that time, we'll probably have a new one in Madrid. No, it's, it's, a, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a new, brand new pool they've opened up, a really one of these big deep pools which seem to be the um the theme you know if you don't have a pool that's over 30 meters deep you got to go home that's so last year it's like hold my beer you know it's only five (laughs) meter pool but uh this is a 30 meter pool so it's nothing like the deep one they've made in the in the arabs but um yeah it's be nice it's a nice facility perfect for training so you know some open water nearby so we're looking forward forward no it'll be great it'll be great so that'll be a fun fun uh week for you guys definitely definitely so um all right so uh we keep doing obscure question podcasts these are our obscure questions that we call from uh people writing in their questions that students ask during courses their questions that instructor candidates ask and then every once in a while we just pull one out that we know is obscure and we've been asked a hundred times and and haven't yet answered it uh on the the course of this podcast so um, but today we're going to focus on technical diving and it's, it, this doesn't mean if you're not a technical diver to hang up and go away. All of this stuff is going to be applicable in some way or another, regardless of whether you're doing 20 foot, six meter reef dives or, you know, 300 foot, you know, hundred meter crazy dives. So it's, it's all, um, it's all going to be focused. Uh, I'm looking at the list of questions we're working on, and it's all pretty much on open circuit today. It is an open circuit. I mean, we've been doing quite a bit of uh, training and diving uh, on the technical side on open circuit lately. And these are some of the questions that popped up on some of the latest courses and also some 
that we keep hearing over and over again. Um, so we figured it'd be a, a nice way to, you know, fill up an hours of us rambling on on why we do the things the way we do them. <laughs> and it's fun. I, I think of all the podcasts we do, and, and we have some really interesting guests coming up in the next um, couple of months, but these obscure question ones are super fun because, you know, we get to just relentlessly speak our opinions and it's okay. You can agree or not agree. It doesn't matter. This is just how we do it, how we learned, how we teach. And, um, you know. And you know what? I think the funniest thing is, Jeff, that some of these things we talk about, to us, they are so, like, common and, well, obvious. That's the way we do it, right? And and then people, they react to these podcasts, the previous ones, especially on the, on the, um, the Obscure Questions ones. Like, oh, there were so many good tips and tricks in there when you said this and this about whatever subject i can't really come with a concrete example at the moment but and they were like well great you got something out of it but that was not the main point we were making but yeah it's a good point you know it's like wow it's like really nice how people from different levels take home different stuff it's that's the whole idea i mean that's a classic that's that's a classic part of education right is that create common ground in your students and it's, it's one of the things we we really work on in the idcs is to teach the the instructors how to teach particularly but you know people hear what they're ready to hear and like today we're going to talk about all these different things and some decompression and stuff like that but it's all applicable to your scent profile if you're coming up from you know 40 feet 12 meters it doesn't matter so listen with an open mind and see what you get and, and listen from the level that you're diving, where you're diving. Um, you know, this doesn't mean you have to take a tech class to understand what we're talking about. You won't. It's going to be applicable to you no matter what. And that's why we decided to do a tech-focused uh, program. Remember, the history of UTD is that we were initially a core group of technical and cave instructors who brought that training to recreational diving, team diving, consistent gear, um, neutrally buoyant, don't touch the bottom, all of that stuff that we do in tech and cave, we just packaged it for recreational diving. And, you know, flattery, or what do you call it? Being, um, uh, being copied yeah. is the highest form of flattery. Exactly. Imitation yeah. is the highest form of flattery, right? Now everybody's doing it, and I think that's great. Fantastic. I think that's great because it makes the world better. It makes the oceans better. It makes the, the lakes and rivers. Everything you're diving in makes it better. So I'm not suggesting you start a training agency using <laughs> no, all the work we've don't. done the past yeah. decade plus. But mm. for those who have, uh, there you go. At least, you know, the world is, is changing the way uh, – What's that line? We teach the world. Yeah, to die. exactly. That's a, <laughs> That's a good slogan, actually, for 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 a different company. Yeah, I guess. But no, I, guess. I mean, <laughs> yeah, for a different company. <laughs> but hey, you know, it's it's true, right? I mean, if if we look at the basic basic things that we've been doing from day one, like very basic neutral from day one, like if you would say that to an instructor from any organization like mainstream organization that an open water student wouldn't be on his knees on the first day in the pool like ever they would be like ah, it can't be done it's not possible but that's just a mindset it's just a way of of how you how you deal with that right it's i mean i learned my kids to ride a bike without these little side wheels on the bicycle these tiny wheels training wheels because training wheels yeah because because they had a push bike until they figured out 
to push the bike and just lift their feet up and then steer the bike through balance and gyroscopical forces of the wheels and perfect and now they can learn the bike so there's different approaches to learning different things and it's just nice to see that the way we've been doing it from day one is now being adopted globally almost it's like yeah of course that's neutrally buoyant of course you know and it's great it just makes makes us all better and makes the whole industry grow uh, and it keeps us sharp because it means that we have to focus on uh, on being even more innovative yeah. and 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 we can be less snarky about it now too you know also because yeah. you know now yeah. we don't have to ask somebody you know when's the last time you had an emergency while kneeling on the bottom yeah you know? yeah exactly <laughs> when's the last time you had to share gas while kneeling on the bottom yeah you know when's the last time your mask came off while kneeling on the bottom you know so we we're we're i think we're a little more tolerant kinder gentler utd maybe mm, yeah probably Probably because then we're spending less time on scuba board. Yeah, and maybe I mean if we're generalizing, the whole DIR, you know, community is is getting more open and more open-minded towards divers from different backgrounds. And it it all depends. I mean, some people still get get all bent out of shape if someone doesn't dive in a, in a particular way. And I can never, I can never stop commenting on that. It's like, hey, wait, dude, this is a sport. This is a hobby. They can dive in either way they choose how to dive. It's a choice. You know, it's not do it this way or you get out. I mean, if you choose that way, great. If you choose the way we dive, like many divers dive in a DIR style, great. You've uh, you've seen the value and you've accepted that value and you've adopted it. Perfect. But if you want to dive in a different style and, and enjoy the underwater world, as long as you don't either be dangerous or harmful to the underwater world, Who's to say you're doing it wrong, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. We were um, Sherry and I were just in um, in Cozumel hmm. a couple months ago, and you know, diving with you know hardcore recreational divers, you know, traditional BC, the whole thing, and you know, it's great. We had a blast. Exactly. I mean, didn't matter. No, no, you know, it's 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 <laughs> so much less judging. Yeah. <laughs> than we used to yeah, exactly. but we don't have to it, it's to your point Ben we don't have to anymore no exactly right? we felt like we did because we felt like we. I think we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder when we started this that nobody else can do it this way but not anymore alright so let's dig into some of these questions so we run um, in our in our technical dive training program there after you do essentials and you get the basic fundamental skills down on how to you know gas sharing and bottle switch and all that simple stuff. We have a 39, 140-foot, 139-foot class called Techreational. And then this as the first entry-level course to our technical program. And then we have Tech 1, which is uh, 48 meters, 160 feet. The 39-meter, the, the 130-foot class is, 139-foot class, is only using oxygen as a decompression gas. And the deeper class, the 48-meter, 160-foot class, is only using nitrox-50 as a decompression gas. So we get a lot of questions about this, like why are we using oxygen on the shallower course and only nitrox-50 on the deeper course? So, so let's dig into this a little bit and, um, and talk about this, you know, why we chose those gases for those particular courses. Yeah, and, and the, the, the reason people ask these, this particular question it's either because of two uh, backgrounds. Either they 
feel that the oxygen, the pure 100% oxygen is the more advanced of the two decompression gases. So that should be available later in your, you know, uh, career as a technical diver. And it's like, ooh, the first technical class and you're already using oxygen for decompression. It, it's kind of like you're not, you're not there yet. You shouldn't be there yet. And, and that's just completely the opposite approach that we take. It's like, okay, if you're not ready to do a gas switch at six meters on pure oxygen, you're not ready to do any kind of technical diving, regardless of, of how far your level is. So, so we would like to treat, teach you to do it right on the topic of before uh, from day one. There's no point in saying, hey, this is now your training into it. And because we want to keep you safe, Instead of teaching you, for example, proper buoyancy skills so you can actually maintain a six meter um, uh, stop, 20 foot stop, we're just going to give you f uh, nitrox 50 or nitrox 80 as a deco gas because that way you can be more flexible with your decompression skills. Oh, don't say flexible. You know? Inaccurate. Inaccurate, yeah. Unsafe. <laughs> Un unskilled. Unsafe. Unskilled, let's use the yeah. word. Let's, let's, just let's just use call the words it it, that are appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah call yeah, it yeah. as it is, exactly. You don't have and, to sugarcoat that one. No, that's for sure. So, so and, and and I think that that's what makes a lot of people think. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Because um, oxygen is the best way to decompress. I mean, it has none of the gases that you're trying to get rid of your body. So, it makes sense that that's the best gas to use to create the biggest gradient between the gases you want to get out and the gases you're breathing. So the oxygen by far is the best way to do it. Then it's a 39 or 139 uh, foot dive, um, 39 meters. So the traveling from the deepest point up until you got the oxygen available is relatively easy and fast. Uh, and that relates to how much gas you should reserve. Because if you have done any diving course with UTD, you will have heard about a concept called rock bottom. And rock bottom is our absolute minimum amount of gas we reserve to get two divers back to the surface or back to the next available breathing source, which in this case would be the six meter deco uh, bottle of oxygen. Or so, any any gas switch. Yeah, or know. any gas switch. Any, I mean, in the future, it'll be nitrox 50, and we'll get to that. Why? So, so the gas you would reserve for a dive like this is manageable. It's not a crazy amount. We still have a good amount of back gas left to do the rest of your dive, to do the bottom portion of your dive, basically. Right. So from 39 meters to 6, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's like a 12-minute travel, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's... It, it, it's Gas, it's enough, that 12 minutes you can manage by reserving back gas yeah, and not have to have some other other bottle to get you to that six meter stop. Exactly. Where you're going to, where you're going to switch to oxygen and do your proper deco. Yeah. So, I mean, and, es and especially now with that we've re redone the um, ratio deco calculations in ratio deco 3.0, um, you know, the ascend from a 39 meter dive is just a 10 meter per minute ascend up until 50% of the depth. Um, and then we do an exponential uh, deco stop. So it's one minute at 50% in this case from 39, let's call it 40 meters. It makes it a bit easier, a 21 meter, um, half of it basically. And then 18, 15, 12 and nine. That's one, two, three, four. That's 10 minutes right there. Plus the two, three minutes ascent. 
And that's like Jeff said, a 12, 13 minute ascent. All you do is just calculate how much gas you would use for two divers ascending, and that's the minimum gas you would reserve. Now that total amount is a manageable amount to use uh, or to keep as a reserve. So it's not crazy amount. Right, now these dives also, these recreational dives are generally, you know, we generally limit them to about a half hour anyway. Yeah, according to the training standards, it's a half hour. Um, and that that's a good segue to uh, why we only use one deco bottle in the first two levels of technical diving, the recreational and the tech one. We'll get back to that in a minute. But going back, so if you had aluminum 80s or, you know, double tens or something like that, a half an hour on the bottom, you do the calculations, it leaves you plenty of gas to um, uh, make, it, make that travel. So now we're, now we're repeating ourselves. But that, I think it's a really important point that the whole point of this is gas management to get to decompression, to get to your deco switch. Exactly, exactly. And, it, and, it, and that's what breaks it up. And maybe, maybe, I mean, it's also a question we have been asked a lot with regards to the rule of thirds um before that i want to i want to just point down to a youtube video i made a while ago back in france to explain that that the thirds has to be only for the diving part the bottom part of your dive that the thirds does not encompass an ascent in any way shape or form so the rock bottom is about the ascent and the, the gas plan either halves thirds uh, all usable or or even fourths of sixth in, in advanced diving with, with, with certain team sizes. It's all about what you can do with the rest of your gas after you've done it. The, the, the usable gas, exactly. Usable, the usable gas. Because the rock bottom, the what, the what you need for the two people coming to the surface or the next gas switch from anywhere, yeah. you can't touch that. Exactly, it's untouchable. That's, that part of it's sacred. Well, I always come with a little uh, anecdotal story uh, that I knew about rock bottom before I knew about anything to do with DIR diving. And growing up in Amsterdam as a, a young kid in school, going to town, you know, taking a taxi home because any other way form of transportation would be unwise. Let's keep it like that. Um, I would know how much the taxi ride would be home from that center of town where we would go to have a drink with our mates. And that amount of money I always put in my left pocket. And then whatever I had left, I put in my right pocket and that's what I would use. By the time the right pocket was empty, I could use whatever was in the left pocket to go back because the taxi fare is almost, it's always the same. What do we call that? We call that like uh, drunk usable? <laughs> oh, almost. <laughs> Something like that? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, so, so it's, it's, and it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's the same yeah, way we approach diving. Sense. Hey, what ta- yeah. what kind of gas do you need to get I'm, back to the surface? Are you, <laughs> That's what we are you stranded at the bottom yeah. while you're diving? Or are you stranded in a bar and you can't get home? Well, yeah, a bar is a bar, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is the bottom. Yeah. So, all right, so let's let's. So I think you know we're kind of guiding this conversation toward the idea of how do you get to your deco switch as opposed to um, the actual decompression. So let's look at the forty-eight meter, one hundred and sixty foot Tech One class, and that and the differences and and why we just chose nitrox fifty only for that and no oxygen. So then you're progressing. You've you've learned to manage that deco cylinder at six meters, um, and it's going great. And now you want to push your depth a little bit. You want to move to the deeper depths, which is 48 meters, is the next level down. We still uh, enforce a limit of a half an hour of decompression obligation, but now we can add 
the 50% or 21 meter bottle or 70 foot bottle instead of the oxygen bottle. So not and, but just instead. And as you kind of gathered with we with the intro being so heavenly <laughs> talking about the rock bottom portion, that's the main reason of it. Because from 48 all the way up to six, and the way ratio, de ratio deco and all deco works is that the distribution of your deco stops when you go deeper is a little bit different. So you'll be doing more of your decompression stopping relatively deeper. So there, your rock bottom calculations, which would include a bunch of deco stops, will just be such a high number that you would have no practical gas available as usable gas on the bottom portion of your dive. So, Right. So, so what we're saying is that rock bottom, which in this case would be from 160 feet to 20, if you didn't have the Nitrox 50 bottle or 48 meters to six, that that would use up so much of your gas and we, you have to protect that gas. And it's not just your gas. That's the gas for two people. So when you start looking at that volume that you would need, you know, you're almost going to not be able to dive. You're, you, you're going to get to a point where if you have aluminum 80s or, you know, what, eight, nine liter tanks, something uh, like 12. that, you're not going to have enough gas, yeah. 12s even. Yeah. But well, you're still not going to have enough gas no. to do anything. No. So we put a travel bottle in, basically, that doubles as a decompression bottle. Exactly. And that means you only have to use your back gas to get from your bottom, 48 meters, 160 feet, to that next available gas switch, which is what Ben is saying is 21 meters or 70 feet. Yeah. So it, it, and it's a, it's a decent decompression gas. It's not the best decompression gas, but it's a decent decompression gas. Yeah, it's it's not it's an okay gas, especially when you mix it with your with your with your uh, standard gases for for bottom mixes. But uh, it does allow you to open up an oxygen window, and the way we shape the S curve on the uh, twenty one meter segment, um, it does help you out quite a bit than just using the depth gradient uh, for decompression and the bottom gas you have. Um, so it's definitely a better option than just having bottom gas for everything. Um, right. So when you make that switch at 21 meters or 70 feet on 50% nitrox, your the partial pressure of oxygen is 1.6. It's right at the limit of decompression. So you're getting a ton of oxygen. Yeah. At that partial pressure into your system, you're also getting a ton of nitrogen. <laughs> Um, so as you use that oxygen window and, and that S-curve to, to maximize the deco on that bottle, once you go up a few stops, 21, 18, 15, 12, you know, 70, 60, 50, 40 feet, that gas becomes just a gas. It's not, it becomes less of a great decompression gas because the partial pressure of oxygen is dropping. But it had the tremendous advantage of, of reducing the amount of gas you need to carry on your in your back gas tanks exactly. to get to that stop. And I think that's that's really the key to it, right? That's the key, exactly. And the 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 other the flip side of the coin we call rock bottom is that yes, it covers the ascent of two divers to the surface or the next available gas source like we just stated, but it also covers if you lose one of your deco cylinders. So it covers one deco segment when you have to revert to back gas during your lost deco procedures. Now, we're not going to go into the, what the procedures are, basically, but it means you're staying longer on your back gas and switching back and forth from the deco bottle the team does have available. Right, uh, sharing sharing the remaining deco bottle. Yeah, basically. And there's a whole procedure for it, but 
basically means that you have enough back gas to do that procedure safely and not being forced to exit the dive, you know, prior to your decompression is finished. So, so the reason to, to answer this question, number one, why do we use nitrox 50 from 48 and oxygen from 39? It has almost nothing to do with the decompression quality of those gases, but mainly to do with the rock bottom, the calculation, how much gas do you need to reserve to get to those deco stops safely without compromising yourself or your team? So now that's our tech one class, 48 meters or 160 feet. And you're taking that nitrox 50 bottle from 21 meters, 70 feet, all the way to the surface. When we, I just want to touch on this for one second, then we'll move on. When we go to our tech two class, and now we're doing 200 feet, 60 meters. Again, when you think about it in the way we're talking about it now, you're using your back gas to get to the first gas switch, which is going to be that 21 meter 70 foot stop but then you're only using that travel gas to get to six meters 20 feet which means if you're going to have an extended time on that nitrox 50 bottle compared to tech one but you're using it for a shorter distance you're only going up you know whatever it is 21 to, to six and then you're going to switch to oxygen so the progression is really interesting we give you oxygen on tech creational the 39 meter, 130 foot class. We commit you to making sure you can actually do a proper gas switch. Then we take you to 48 meters, 160 feet. And if you can do a gas switch at six meters, you can certainly do it at 21 meters because the buoyancy is so much easier. You knock out your gas switch at 21, you go up. Tech two, you still knock out your gas switch at 21 meters, 70 feet. And you do another one that you learned prior when you get to six meters, 20 feet, and then go to oxygen. So the Tech 2 class has two bottles, Nitrox 50 and oxygen. And the Tech 1 class has one bottle, Nitrox 50. And the Tech Creational class has one bottle, oxygen. Exactly. And it also links together quite nicely with the decompression obligation, because as soon as we move into that Tech 2 range at 60 meters or uh, 200 feet, you'll you'll be doubling your decompression obligation because the ratio deco is a, uh, a relationship of one-to-one -one in both the decorational and the uh, tech one range. But we move up to a one-to-two um, relationship, which means that for every minute you spend on the bottom at 60 meters, you'd have two minutes of decompression obligation. So that means that you're more heavily reliant on those decompression gases. So in the unlikely event you'd lose one, you won't lose all of your decompression gas. And again, you know, it's the gas that gives us the, the, the possibility to solve problems underwater and it gives us the time to do so. So when we get more aligned on the decompression and also a little bit deeper into, you know, different tissues and all that sort of stuff, the oxygen just makes sense on the Tech 2 dives where you have a higher oxygen or a higher uh, decompression obligation. And also when you become that tech two student, you can now prolong your dives in the tech rational and tech one range to, to extend it past the 30 minute decompression limit and add that oxygen bottle there as well, because that'll, that'll just clean your, 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 your tissues up much better um, for the longer duration dives. And that's an interesting point, right? When I do a, a hundred foot 30 meter dive and I know I'm going right to the limit of NDL, I'll almost always take an oxygen bottle and just stop at 20 feet, six meters, do 10 minutes on O2 on the way up, watch the little fish, and then go to the boat. You know, it's a really, it's a really smart way to do it. 
All right, good. Let's, um, good. So if you have questions about that, shoot us a note, but that's kind of the program that, that we're on. Yeah. All right, next up. Why are all the deco cylinders on the left? And the answer is not, well, we've always done it that way. Yeah, no, it's not, <laughs> it's unfortunately. Not. It would be yeah. easy if it was. There, there are different schools of thought in this whole deco placement. You have decos on the left, decos on the right. You know, you have this light, right, rich, right rich, left lean um, way. And uh, back in the early days, I learned to dive in that way. You know, all cards on the table. And I thought it was smart because in my mind back then, it, it made sense. Um that I looked like a B-52 bomber underwater with two tanks sticking out to each of my sides is a whole different thing. And it was swimming with it was even more of a nightmare because it's not exactly streamlined. But it, it, in my mind, it made sense. Um, but shortly after I've done that kind of training and started diving with it, it's like the gas switches, they were just a nightmare. It's basically survival because it's like the hoses coming from the left and the right is this one big hassle. So the reason all the deco cylinders are on the left is A, it keeps your switching procedure super nice and super consistent because you're always working from the same side. B, most of the deco, most of the regulators out there are built to come over your right shoulder and then enter your mouth over your right shoulder. And if they come over the left, you either have to turn them around and some can be done, but it's it's usually not very standard and it makes it just, you know, awkward. So the procedure of the gas switch, which is underwater the most dangerous part of any technical dive. Period. Period. You know, uh, it, that has to be simple and consistent because that will make it repeatable and that will make it easy for the people to follow along so and but i mean your team so so when we keep that as the strongest argument that should be you know big fat exclamation point end of story but we want to go a little bit more into depth why also well think about it if you have to donate your long hose and you have a deco bottle also on the right that that's can that can actually pose a little bit of an entanglement issue. You have to route it over the tank, or be aware that you clip your tail clip of your deco bottle in a certain way that it doesn't catch the long hose. And it just poses so many different issues that it's just a potential dangerous situation. And just to clarify, on back gas, we're talking about all deco and all stages on the left. Everything. Everything. Everything that's not on your back is on the left. On the left. Uh, yeah. If Even if we dive in a side mount configuration, the deco or stages will be on the left. And if we need more, it'll be in a leash. Exactly the same like on back mount. And we were talking about this before we started recording today. It's like side mount. You know, if you're carrying four extra cylinders on side mount and nothing on your back, and now you've got your two side mount cylinders and your two stages and your two deco bottles all over the place and your back is empty unless you're going to a dive where you have to drop all those cylinders and go in some restriction like a wreck or something there's no reason to do side mount in that configuration you should just be on back mount it's just a waste of real estate if you're doing an open water dive if you if you're going to drop them all and you need to go side mount or no mount makes total sense but then you're pretty much going to put them all on a leash it, it just works a lot easier. I mean, 
it keeps the front nice and clean and it's it's more uh, it's more easy to dive that way it's much more streamlined and it just keeps it out of the way so coming back to 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 also another reason we have it on the left is we have pockets on our dry suit and the way we train is that the pocket on our right is the pocket we work with because that's accessible and we we train emergency procedures so that they become more of like a oh darn i forgot the coffee maker this morning you know i need to switch it off or something like it, it becomes a non-issue than a panic situation so if 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 my easy access pocket on the right is the pocket i work out of let's say i'm going to do a dive and i need uh, my camera or my pigtail with my my line markers or anything else that'll be in the right pocket because constantly I'm in and out of that pocket with my right hand if there's a tank in the way like on the left side it's more of a hassle it's it's doable but it's just not comfortable I mean the left pocket for us is our emergency pocket or our backup pocket um, as I'd rather like to call it it's still accessible, it's just not as comfortable. And we should get away from that thought that, ooh, if it's to do with your backup, you need to be able to get to it fast because when you lose your mask, you know, inside a cave and it's dark and you and it's dangerous. And it's like, you gotta get away from that train of thought. It should be, hey, someone knocked my mask, the glass broke or it moved out of the skirt or, or whatever. I'll just get another one. So how many times, this is a really interesting conversation too, how many times in the course of your career have you actually needed to go to a backup mask for yourself? Uh, three times, over eight and a half, maybe 9,000 dives. Yeah. Right, right. I've done, I think, one, and I've given my mask to other people a couple of times. On the other hand, that's in your left pocket. How many times have you used your wet notes or your SMB on a dive? Twice a dive for the last 6,000 dives, you know? Twice a dive. <laughs> Exactly. And I think that sort of makes the statement, right? That, you know, in my in my life, wet notes, SMB, on the right, mask, um, whistle. All that stuff. Backup shears, pair of scissors. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff that, that I basically use, have used twice in my life on the left. Super easy. If you keep it like that, it makes a ton of sense. It does. Backup camera, for example, as an instructor, we use these GoPros. And I, I learned to use too because they're fantastic <laughs> but they're a bit a bit finicky a little bit and i've kind of now almost adopted that the the backup one goes in my ride because <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna because you're going to use it but that's the that's interesting though ben because that's the consciousness right if you have a pretty good bet you're going to use it it yeah. should be accessible i mean line markers obviously you're going in a cave you're going to put the line markers in the right yeah so you just keep it keep it organized like that like yeah, what's anytime. easy and what's not exactly so that's also a reason to keep the deco cylinders on the left, uh, because it keeps everything nice and clean. And now, consistent. And consistent. Another thing is thinking about when you're passing on or, or just either yourself or getting passed bottles to you, we teach it that you do it in a right hand to right hand manner. And the reason for that is, especially when you're doing that skill and you can ask any of our tech students that are uh, tech two or higher that have been jostling around 80 cubic feet cylinders filled to the brim with nice and heavy nitrox 50. <laughs> as soon as you pass a bottle right hand to right hand, you're going to use your left hand to do a little bit of a in your BCD or in your wing because you need the gas. 
And and basically, as soon as you take that bottle, you push the wing with your left hand. Now, if you have to attach any kind of uh, single ender or double ender for that matter to the opposite side of your hand, so if you're placing with your right hand on your left shoulder, you're, it's easy to clip down. So with the gate facing down, it's an easier way. If you have to clip with your right hand to the D-ring on your right shoulder, like for example, when you clip off your long hose, it's, it's, it's like anatomically impossible to clip it down. Because as soon as you pinch that double ender, like the gate slider, and then you try to bend your, your wrist inwards to hook it from the top down onto your D-ring, it's impossible unless you're some kind of a Houdini, I guess, with, with, with very flexible limbs. But then it's usually easier to clip from the bottom up on the same side. So if you're grabbing that deco bottle on, with your right hand on the top clip, it's just easier to go boom, and it's on the top of your left D-ring. Uh, for those of you watching this podcast on video, you'll see me doing a mass massive amount of hand movement, but <laughs> I hope you guys can follow along just listening to it. Um, and that's also, if you'd have to all of a sudden stow a deco bottle on your left or on your right shoulder, you would probably use your right hand and then you'd be very awkward to add gas to your wing with your left crossing over. It'd just be a mess. So also from that tiny little point of view, putting them all on the left makes a lot of sense. So I think we can safely say that the reason we keep all these cylinders on the left is not just because we've always done it that way. No, it might have started that way because in the olden days with the huge battery backup, a battery uh, canister lights, oh, yeah. they would be slided onto the webbing and then held in place by either the main buckle in really old school or an extra buckle. And if you'd have a D-ring there, you wouldn't be able to slide that battery all the way back. And then, you know, it's some divers would adopt that putting a D-ring on top of the canister to be able to do both of those things, but that'll just make it awkward, you know? So, yeah, and <laughs> I had one of those lights. Seriously, the canister was like eight inches, like, you know, 20 centimeters in diameter and it was yeah, like yeah it's like the, the same diameter as a 40 cubic feet it's crazy yeah basically it was like a putting a, it had, had like two motorcycle batteries in it or yeah, something yeah. like that and lasted for a whopping hour and a half yeah exactly mm -hmm. exactly if it's if if the hid light fired <laughs> exactly we were so far away from that but it's it hasn't been that many years no right? no 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 it's only it been, been maybe years. a year since Casper actually switched away from HID, and occasionally when we go on a dive together here in Denmark, he still takes his old HID light. He just he likes it that much. <laughs> I have a I have a museum in my storage place, and it's got you know stuff from my beginning, and uh, and and there's an old HID head in there. Well, you know, just, I have to say, like a time, it thinks like a time capsule. <laughs> I have an HID bulb. In my, you know, in, in the shed, in the spares box. Oh, from I stuff forgot I about that. We used They're, to change the bulbs. The $120 for a bulb. For the bulb. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Well, the head, the light was two and a half thousand. So. Yeah, exactly. With the, All right. Crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think we beat that one up. Yeah. Where so are we? So we, we, we have some time. Left. Um, I think we have enough time to get the last three of these in. So. Yeah. Um, next question. Why carry only one bottom timer? Yeah. Can so, I answer that in one word? Yeah team that's it right okay next 
We can answer it with another question. Why do you only carry one compass? Can I answer that in one word? You can. Team. All right. Well, <laughs> All right. So let's expand a little bit. You got but... a little bit, maybe. <laughs> but the thing is... <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the deal. That's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. You see so many divers that, that you know, spend a, th- a huge amount of money on buying an expensive Trimix computer. And then either they have... A lot of money they don't know what to do with because then they'll buy two because what if that one conks out and you need to know what you do on the way up. So they have two expensive Trimix computers. Um, but then what? You don't have two compasses. You don't have two uh, SPGs. You don't have all the other things. Like, makes no sense. But what you do have is a buddy who's going to stay with you. Exactly. I mean, he's not going to be far off, you know? I mean, right? So, no. And that's, I think, I think that's the deal. It's a consciousness issue. It is. Right? If you're trained that a buddy team is two people in the same ocean, not near each other, I understand the feeling that, well, let's have a bunch of backup stuff. But if you're trained like we are, where your team is your backup, your team is your backup brain, backup equipment, all that, backup everything, that, that, Buddy shouldn't be more than ever a couple meters away, ever. No, exactly. And it's this, it's all to do with the whole plan, right? The deco plan is the same. Everyone is on the same page. If you do a dive with three, uh, with two other divers, you have A, B, and C. Now, if A is the the deco captain, he's responsible for doing the counting basically on the way up, and B and C are just confirming that what he's counting is correct. But then diver A's bottom timer, uh, battery breaks or the light goes off or the screen goes out or whatever, button gets stuck or I don't know, whatever. doesn't work anymore. Then diver B can take over as the deco captain doing the counting. Diver C is confirming that diver B is counting correctly. Diver A can still count. He can still think about the times they need to do at the certain depths, he just can't see them. So, but as soon as the signal is given, we have to stay at this depth for the deco hand signal for X amount of minutes, he can still stay looking at his team, knowing he's at that depth. You don't need a thousand dollar machine to tell you you're at the correct depth when you have a diver in front of you. And the other guy can show it to him and so on. Now, I remember being on a dive, I think it was um, with our friend Kim, and we got to a stop and we were like 10 feet, three meters apart. And we're looking at the two timers, right? And mine says 10 and hers says 13. Mine says, you know, whatever the feet are, 30 feet and hers says, you know, 40 feet. And it's like, now that's an interesting pickle. Yeah. Right? So out comes a marked SMB. Count the knots as it goes up. One, two, three. Oh, look, we're at 30 feet, right? 10, 10 meters um, because we know now how far we actually are from the surface. So, okay, you're the bottom timer working. You're the, you're the one that's not. But, you know, if you have two bottom timers and you look at them and they're 10 feet apart, three meters apart, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. And it can be as easy as a, a freshwater to saltwater setting you forgot to switch around or any, anything else. The strap might be too tight or, you know, whatever. A bubble caught underneath the plastic bit of the housing. I've seen it all. It's crazy stuff that can sometimes manif- manipulate uh, the sensors. So only one bottom timer because basically, like Jeff said in the beginning, the team is your backup brain, the team is your backup gas, and the team is your backup equipment. Um, now, 
I've done a video on this with with regards to redundancy in technical diving, because by that rationale, you can just say, okay, then why do you dive a twin set on tech dives, right? Why do you dive, uh, can't dive a singles tank? Because then, hey, if you say that your buddy is your team or your team is your backup, sorry, if your tank fails, you can just share gas and go out. Unless that guy's tank fails. <laughs> and Unless that guy's tank fails, but hey, you know, and in theory, you're right. But there we have a, a something that's called comfort. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not very comfortable to exit a dive sharing gas uh, if it's not needed. So if you have a way to simply and safely stabilize whatever problem you have by, for example, diving on a twin set, you can do that on a long decompression dive there's not much more uncomfortable to just look at your team instead of being able to look at your own bottom timer now are there exceptions to that rule sure i mean if we do long decompression dives in mines or caves on a rebreather which has its own set of electronics with depth and time in it is there a spare bottom timer in my pocket yeah because that's just convenient. Because in a cave or a, a mine situation, sometimes you're not in a position, you're looking at each other and you're on the way out. Uh, for example, in a single file format in a certain portion. And then it just makes more sense, even though you know the depth of these passages, to have your own instruments there. And and this is where the thinking diver comes into play, I think, because... Is, is not about the protocol, it's about how you apply it. And, and it's not like, oh, when you dive with two bottom timers, that's not DIR and that's just, oh, it's just not the way. Well, in certain cases, you can. It's all about what is needed. Do you have to splash out for, twi for two of them and just have them both of them on your arms all the time? No, no way. I, I, I really can't see an argument why you'd have to if your team is right there beside you, you know? Oh, but what if you get lost by your team and then your computer fails? Yeah, and then a shark eats your left foot. Do you carry <laughs> spare fin also? I mean... Yeah. Now, the spare bottom stop, timer is an know? interesting thing, right? So I've done a ton of dives, not recreational dives, but technical dives where, you know, I'm gearing up and I'm uh, I'm in my kit and there's a spare bottom timer. And, you know, I, I, I have two. One's metric and one's imperial because I'm all over the place. And wherever I am... Often, I'll just take that other one and I'll clip it into my left pocket and just forget about it. It doesn't take up any space. It's available for somebody else to use, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's an interesting situation where I'm, you know, I'm kind of going against only take what you need on a dive. But, you know, it's the thing is the size of a pencil. It's like, you know, is it, am I, have I ever used it? No. Will I ever use it? Probably not. Does it make me feel better? Yeah. Yeah. And Simple. I have a backup bottom timer and it's clipped off in my dive box because then I can, on the next dive, I can just be self-reliant self again. And and I'm going to give a shout out to a manufacturer here, which is Scuba Pro. I mean, that, that you know, 330, they call it now because it's the only one that has been um, uh, calibrated to actually measure through 330 meters at 330 meters. Um and that's the most reliant piece of electronics you can take with you underwater. No matter what. I've never, I've never even seen one break. No, I've run out of battery once. 
Well, they do after like 12 years. And I sent and I sent it back. And I think when they got it back, it was so old that they sent me a new one. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I think it was a $75 battery change, but I no, sent no, it back can. a new on one. No, no, you can't. On the proper the bottom timers, you can't change. On the old ones, you can't no. change. Throw it out. It's just complete locked clap. But it was a swap. Scuba, I don't know that they do it anymore. Scuba Pro did a swap and it was cheap. Probably because they they did that a lot in the in the past also with the, the middle, middle grade computers, these Aladdins that you have to send up because they were oil filled. And it, it was cheaper for them probably to just to swap it out. But this thing was like 12 See? years old and it was still cooking yeah. along. You they know? do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, so we got a question the other day. Somebody called and said, what computer should I buy? And it's like, hmm. Maybe you should take a ratio deco class before you spend that money. It's cheaper. Exactly. It's cheaper. And use use the money. I actually made a video and launched it today about analyzing your gases and made a kind little, maybe, little joke about, hey, instead of spending money on an expensive Trimix computer, take ratio deco class and buy a Trimix analyzer. That's money better spent. Yeah, Uh, way better spent. And And a cheap bottom timer that'll last you for 12 years. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Team. All right. Number four out of five, I think we're going to get through them, is um, why no pressure transmitter as opposed to an SPG? Yeah. Or or even as an addition to an SPG. Or in addition to an SPG. You know? Yeah. So, okay, you can start, but I have my own baggage about this one <laughs> you know i mean this is this is so fun so we should we should really make a commitment to keep this to like five minutes because we could rant forever on this one. this could be a podcast on its own yeah, let's you know? not make it that let's just let's just knock out our points and then move on yeah and and the people who know me personally know my point of view on on these transmitters and and the thing is i'm a gadget freak right i mean my house is filled with like sonos and 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 philips hue lights and I have more batteries on my bike than I have in my car, I think. Uh, I like gadgets, for sure. Um, but I get my gadget fix somewhere else and diving. But I didn't always used to be like way. I had multi-screen computers, you know, all this fancy shit uh, I tried over the years. And sometimes I tell the students or the instructor candidates that that puts me in the lucky position then I can actually talk from experience having used all these fancy gadgets. And had half of them break. And had half of them break or not work properly or, you know, ironically on that gadget, we, a little side note, we once had a device called the Never Lost. And it was this like transducer pinging device that you could tie off to the anchor line. And then you'd have the, the receiver in your hand and it would show you an arrow to where that was located and a depth to where this was located. It would just, you know, send out a beacon. So you could see, hey, the arrow is pointing towards the left. Now it's pointing straight ahead and it's at 30 meters. I'm now at 25, so I need to descend. That's where the never lost is. So the idea was you could tie it off to an anchor line and always find your way back to the anchor line. Um, and someone brought this and said, hey, can we use that? Can we test it out? Yeah, sure. They tied off to the anchor line and we go for a dive and I'm on the wreck and I'm, I'm looking at this thing like pointing quite a, you know, like 35 meters away from the wreck. It's like, oh, whatever, you know. So I come back up and I said, what did you do? Ah, well, we tied it off to the anchor line. Well, you don't know how to tie a knot because it's not on the anchor line anymore. So I went down on a reel finding the never lost, ironically. So, you know. <laughs> Where was you, it? It was on the bottom it, because they didn't know how to tie a knot. Oh, they didn't. It wor- So it worked. 
It worked perfectly. It just wasn't there where it was supposed it to. It sounds like a good thing. It's just sonar, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. You know. But so why don't we? You use don't it? know how to tie a knot. I know, but that's well, that's crazy. Why don't we use those things? I never even heard of it. Yeah, it was back in like the early nineties. Do we still have it? Does it still exist? I don't. I don't know. I All don't right, know. somebody let us know if you can find a never lost because yeah. it sounds kind of like a cool idea. I thought it was ironic. You know, you rely on a piece of equipment that fails and then you lost your never lost because. <laughs> I know, but anyway. it's cool that it failed by human error, not by electronic yeah. error. And that's usually the case, right? I mean, but on the on the case of transmitters, so I've tried my fair share of transmitters on from different brands and everything, and I've had them either not pair or not hook up or lose signal in wrecks or, you know, in some brands in the beginning, if you didn't like pair it up, or if it went dormant because the, you pressurize your tank and then after five minutes of no pressure change, it actually shuts off because it wants to save the battery. Then when you jump in the water and start to breathe, the pressure falls again. It turns on, but it can't make a signal because you're underwater. Ah, it just had a lot of issues. You had to swim up back to the surface, lift your neck out of the water and re raise your arm up out of the water and get them to reconnect. It was a pain in the butt. But having let, let's say all those like kinks are now away and the programming and the hardware firmware has gone better that that's no more issues um i still hear every so often that people do lose signal and it comes back again i just find that very disconcerting because uh, then the numbers disappear and all of a sudden they appear again it's like okay are the numbers still correct you know what what's what's wrong um but anyway if if we assume that nothing goes wrong and it works perfectly what does the transmitter tell you that the SPG can't tell you? And if we look at it, well, the, the pressure gauge, the digital pressure gauge inside there measures the fall of pressure very accurately, uh, much more accurate than a SPG is able to display in, unless you bring one the size of a dinner plate. So it's, it's very accurate. You know, you can you can see in the numbers on your display up to one bar difference. It uses that information to calculate the remaining gas time. And this is where people think, wow, that's amazing. Because now I don't have to think. I can just look at that number. And if my NDL on my dive computer says 20 minutes, and then my remaining gas time says 30 minutes, perfect. I can just stay here you know the thing they don't realize is that that computer is not able to see into the future and it's not able to plan for what we just talked about rock bottom so it's always set to a certain amount of pressure as a reserve and there's two caveats there a pressure isn't pressure pressure in a single 12 is completely different to the amount of gas of the same pressure in a twin 12 and uh, we've talked about that many times before, and I think people finally get that point. So pressure is kind of pointless. Um, so the remaining pressure that should be in your tank for your reserve that this computer is calculating the remaining air time or gas time on is complete and utter useless because it's based on pressure and you shouldn't be able, you shouldn't be concerned with pressure. You should be concerned with liters. Right. So that's an interesting, interesting point too. So I have two questions. One and is... Um, does anybody ever use two on doubles? No. Okay. And 
the other is why can't they somebody figure out how to make one of these things that reads in volume? I guess you can, but you'd have to change the setting constantly. Like you can do the setting, but no one does that. You'd have to put your cylinder size on. Yeah. And you can do that in the settings afterwards. Uh, even back in the early 90s. We have phones now. We have apps. Exactly. I don't know. It seems like it. one of the archaic things about diving to me seems that we're on pressure. <laughs> Pressure's worthless, as you just said. All I care about is volume. I mean, I flew airplanes forever. I never cared about fuel pressure. No. I cared how much air was in the tank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, how many not gas. Of, yeah. You know, it didn't matter how much gas was in a in a 50-gallon tank. It only mattered how much air was in that 50-gallon tank. Cuz then I yeah, knew how much was left. But I, you know, what I saw was on the on the the panel was a display of, you know, gallons per minute going through the engine or gallons per hour going through the engine. And it translated that it knew how much went through and it knew how much was left and it was on volume it wasn't on fuel pressure we didn't care what the fuel pressure was as long as it was as it wasn't zero so so that's the first caveat it's giving you information that you can rely upon but it's wrong to rely upon it because it's it's not it's not taking into account gas sharing or changes in depth and it's basically like the the the, the reason i think it got there and people trust it so much or, or rely upon it so much is they, they related to the fact that in the car you, we have the same thing right we have the, the normal fuel gauge and that can be a digital gauge but it's still showing full half or empty um, and you can just look at it and it's like okay I got a half a tank I know how, can, how far my car drives on half a tank then you got this computer that's going to calculate that for you also now, there is fluctuations, you know, you're going up a hill with a trailer or not a trailer. It's going to make a difference. But the differences are so little when we compare it to diving. I mean, we all know just diving from the surface to 10 meters is the doubling of your air consumption. Your car will never double in gas consumption in that small range. It'll, it'll either be 10 or 20 percent more or less. So that becomes, the number that computer punches out becomes much more reliable and usable. Well, uh, your 14-cylinder Humvee might. Well, okay, that's, yeah, but in the States. Exactly. In the States. <laughs> but so, My little Toyota Corolla is very... <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. But see, now that's not, I don't think that's a perfect example, though, because when you look at your fuel gauge, it's not telling you pressure. It's telling you volume. You know, I put 20, 20 gallons or, or 80 liters of gas in my car... And the thing says half, I know I've got 10 gallons, 40 liters left. I'm not converting anything, you know? No, I, and, you're not, and you're not changing the volume of your tank every time you do pick up fuel. No, no. And that thing's had the same gas tank in it. Well, it broke once, but they put the same one back in. Like same that's size. Had, you yeah. know, same size. It's got 20 gallons, 80 liters. So, yeah, the whole thing is a little wacky. But, yeah. you know, and the other thing, of course, is what's the cost on one of these gauges, these these. It's super Russia expensive, right? At least two hundred dollars. And what's right. the cost on a on a SPG? That that super nice Italian gorgeous one. I think fifty bucks for the expensive. Maybe. One. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So you could buy four. So so another thing the SPG can show you that the transmitter does show you is a blinky light. You know. <gasps> yeah. Some of them have blinky lights, so the team behind <laughs> you can see how much pressure you have. There are certain uh, computers that can 
attached to more than one transmitter. So you can see that either the gases in your deco bottles that you have around you on the same screen. Now already there, it starts to cringe because if that screen goes, it, the, the um, total amount of your SPGs on the total amount of your equipment is, is gone because your information display is gone. Or you read it funny or it's crazy. whatever. That doesn't, that doesn't sound no, like a good idea. No, it doesn't idea. sound like a good idea. And you can also do this like, okay, if you are a dive guide and you can have your rental equipment set up with these things, but the, the range of these aren't very good. So you'd have to swim up to them close by to get the signal and then look at it. Then you might as well just look at the SPG. You know, this is another one of those things like those those uh, auto B, auto buoyancy BCDs or something. This is it's yeah, in that yeah. same category for me of, you know, these things fixed a problem that never existed. Exactly. It, it, and it's so highly rated, these transmitters, right? I mean, really highly rated. People really buy or don't buy a computer based on the fact that if it can deal with a transmitter or not. And, it, and it's not really necessary. The next thing that I want to think about that a SPG can show you that a pressure gauge that's digital transmitting it to a digital screen can't is more useful things. Like the mechanics inside the SPG, they break. Every so often they, they get they worn, they get filled with gunk and, 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 and calcium and they start to wear out. I mean, think about it, the SPG hose but also the internal workings of your transmitter is the only port in your first stage that water cannot escape out of. So over the course of the year or two years between your service intervals, tiny amounts of water and moisture are going to collect in hoses. All hoses, when you purge them, it'll just blow through on the other side. You know, all the hoses have a hole on the other side. The SPG is a closed system and even though the holes in it are very, very tiny, therefore they're almost also more susceptible to filling up with calcium or salt or debris or whatever. So when you make it a point to look at your SPG every so often when you either pressurize or depressurize the cylinder, uh, the, the first stage, you can see if the needle actually tracks smoothly up and down the, the dial and that's a great indicator if your SPG is still functioning properly or if it's on its way out. If it starts to hang or, you know, moves up very slowly, it, it's, it's all signs of, of wear and contamination. And that's something the pressure gauge that's digital is not able to, to show you because it'll either transmit a pressure or it won't transmit a pressure. Now, I've never used one of these things, but, you know, occasionally we'll... Look at this. Look at the SPG. Turn off the cylinder. Breathe. The thing will go. Needle will go down. Open it back up. Needle goes up. You know you're on the right tank when you're doing gas switches and things like that. Mm. Do the electronic ones work that quickly? No. That you can do that? No. No. They they don't. Um, usually, when you dismantle your equipment after the dive and you purge the regulator to get the first stage off, it takes a while and then it just goes from whatever it was to zero. Maybe you see a split second, you see like an intermediate pressure, but then it just goes beep, 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 no pressure, and it's gone. So it'll go to zero, but it, it, it's not a fluent way. Like when we do a gas switch, for example, um, we first look at the depth, so make sure we're at the right depth. Then we'll, we'll locate the cylinder, make sure it's the right cylinder by looking at the labeling. 
then we'll pressurize the first stage, make sure it doesn't twist off and start leaking when we open the cylinder. Then we orient the second stage. And the first thing we do is we wanna make sure that the second stage we have in our right hand is connected to the valve we're manipulating with our left hand. And the way we do it is give a slight tiny purge to see the needle drop on the first stage that connected to the valve you're touching with, with the your valve left closed. Hand. You close with the, the valve. With the valve closed, yeah, it's just pressurized <laughs> and you just needle see the down. needle go down. Open that back up. Open back up, then the needle goes back up and you can purge to get debris out of your second stage. That whole thing becomes impossible with a transmitter. But then you say, yeah, but I only have the transmitter on my back gas. Well, okay, we can say that you want to uh, rely to your team how much gas you have left. You can either use hand signals or show them the SPG. An SPG is the same. It always is very easy to read, an SPG. A dive computer screen can be a whole different thing. If you're not used to one of these fancy screens, it can take you you know, a bit of time to figure out where is the pressure actually located on the screen. So from that point of view, it's it's not that handy to show your team your pressure if you either don't want to use hand signals or they don't understand the hand signal. So, so analog. Yeah. Analog is much better. And the fact that you don't need two pressure devices, because uh, a lot of people, they do have a, a twin set where they have the standard analog SPG on the left and then the backup uh, $200 at least, uh, you know, transmitter that's usually sticking out like a sore thumb above their heads. It, it, it's no point to have, because the first of all, our SPG is already a backup device and to your brain. And it's basically, we teach all our divers to do a gas calculation constantly during the dive in bars per liter. Now I've done videos on this on the YouTube channel as well, but for a twin 12 or a twin 80 in, at least in metric, it's very simple as a rule of thumb you go ambient pressure minus 10%. That's roughly the amount of bars you'll be using per minute. So how easy is that? If you know... Now, the, I got to tell you, the Americans have no idea what you just said. No, exactly. It works in, <laughs> Euro it works in Europe. It works in Europe. It doesn't work quite so easily with, with um, where PSI and volume are related to tank size. And yeah. We don't have a fixed volume for the cylinders here. But. And for that reason, I've actually heard several American divers switching to using bars because it's easier to calculate with but in, in Europe what we can do is is relatively simple I say okay if I'm swimming along at 20 meters which is three atmospheres I use roughly between 2.5 and 2.8 bars per minute so how many bars would I have used after 10 minutes between 28 and 30 bar you know 25 right. and 30 you bar. can multiply it by 15 to get psi but yeah you could then you look at your SPG and you can actually see, confirm, yeah, this pressure makes sense. Or you catch it and say, hey, it's still showing 200 bar. And then you reach for your manifold and you hear this gas mixing going on behind your back. Uh, and then you... And then oh, that's another God's whole sake, podcast, which actually leads us to the next question, which I don't think we have time for. No, we'll... Um, we'll catch that on the next one. We're going to do another one of these pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get our question number five and we'll leave our listeners in 
It'd be um, a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, who killed JR? So we'll find out uh, what the next question is on the next one. But that was fun. I mean, this is really interesting to me to go talk about in depth these very seemingly simple questions that can, you know, just turn into long discussions. And again, like you said at the very beginning of the show, people hear information at the level they dive at and understand. You know, there's a theory in education that the teacher can't teach the student anything unless both the teacher and the student already know it. Yeah. Right. Which is our theory of common ground that we work on with all the instructors and so on. So, You'll hear what's appropriate to what you're doing, and hopefully at any level of diving, you got something out of this um, besides just the fun that Ben and I had talking about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, if you have any questions relating to these obscure questions... Or you have your own more obscure um, questions. Or if you have your own more of these, please keep them coming because we, we love talking about them. And, um, uh, and, and like we always do also in the courses we teach it's always fun to really revert these back as a question as we usually do in in the classes right it's like they ask a question hey what do we do here well think about it what could you do what could you do you know and it's kind of being a, an a-hole doing these sometimes yeah. but it makes them think about okay what kind of solutions can i come up with and and what makes more sense and usually what ends up happening is they'll they'll go down one road and they'll hit a a, a junction and then they turn back and go down another way of thinking and they'll end up at the protocol that's in the book. And and that just reinforces the way we dive, I think. So it's it, it all these things we talked about for now one hour and, 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 and seven minutes almost is is based on experience and of divers learning to do stuff because of hard learned lessons. And it's not based on whatever we found interesting to write in a book and or just decide this is how we're going to do it because this is the way we do it there is a thinking and a logic behind it all and i hope you got that point we make sure the instructors understand that everything has the instructor candidates everything has a reason and there should never be a question that comes up in a class that's answered with by saying because we've always done it that way there are questions that come up in class where the instructor says i don't know i'll find out yeah, but never will the the UTD instructors say just because because that's no. how we do it because that's how the rest of the world does it because we don't go down that road at all. No, exactly. It, it's either that or or you'll never hear say ah we'll do this because it's a training dive. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Normally in <laughs> in normal diving we'll do something different. That's like oh my god, no don't way, get me going you know? about that. You know, <sighs> yeah. you know, you get in a pool, you're doing it class in a pool it's a dive it's a dive you know yeah. it ends properly it ends with an exit strategy it ends with a you know proper ascent profile even if you're going up two meters we don't care every dive's a dive and if you don't treat it that way when you get to real dives and something goes wrong you've missed the learning opportunity yeah that's oh, how it is not yeah. only that you 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 know it's a whole safety thing because now it's like oh wait in the pool they told me to do this but now i'm in the ocean they told me to do something else. I wonder which one I should do today. Well, exactly. You know, and it's just, it's a great way of learning. I mean, teaching the tech class last weekend, you know, we were in relatively shallow waters and we're doing these failures and they're exiting, but their exit strategies is with two gas switches. And in one, like, water entry from the, from the beach to the water, we did five dives, meaning 
they did five times two gas switches in one single setting, so to speak. Instead of just going, ah, we just swim around with these deagle bottles. There's no point. Anyone can swim around with a deagle bottle. You need to learn how to use it. So now they learned in one day, five times two gas switches. I remember teaching teaching an overhead protocols class in a pool, right? Six feet, eight feet deep, two, three meters. And students with a blacked out mask. And man, it it looked like they were in, they were dealing with emergencies, you know, two kilometers back in a cave. Yeah, yeah. Because once you close off the mask and you're in water, it doesn't matter. You're just trying to find the line. Ah, so interesting. All that stuff's really interesting. So, all right. So, um, send us your questions at info at utdscubadiving.com. You can get a hold of us individually, Jeff at utdscubadiving.com or Ben at utdscubadiving.com. And uh, look for this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And um, if you want to do us a favor, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts because that's where um, it seems to be the clearinghouse still, no matter what. You know, we're on 30 different. Yeah, 30 it different is, it does, places, yeah. but leave your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts for us, and it helps all the, all the other people who want to think about obscure stuff in scuba diving to find us, and that's cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're interested in the IDC, give us a call. Madrid is next, but now we're going to start running them regularly in the U.S. and in, um, in Europe. Yes. And uh, I think there's one coming up in Dubai, and uh, we'll see what's happening in Asia. Exactly. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Hell is going outside. One way. Working down the street.